Running is one of the most basic forms of exercise, but that doesn't mean it's simple. The mechanics of running have been studied by countless individuals and analyzed in advanced labs to better understand this fundamental movement that millions of people do every day. Parameters like stride length, foot strike, and pronation, which is the natural foot roll experienced to distribute forces properly, among others, are all important in determining how well an individual performs and how likely they are to get injured. Full gait analysis is usually only available to the most elite echelon of athletes, but new wearable devices have greatly increased access to valuable personal running data for runners of all skill levels. People are most familiar with wristwatch type wearables that normally measure heart rate, position data, and can extrapolate stride parameters based off accelerometers. There are others, such as heart rate monitors to be worn around the chest, and smaller exercise monitors that can be worn as a ring around your finger. An obvious location for a running wearable is on the foot itself, where runners would be able to directly measure how hard and fast each part of their foot is striking the ground. This is exactly what the company Nerve is working on, a smart insole that is made of an array of pressure-sensing pads to measure and analyze each footstep you take. Due to their high resolution and data rate, the insole is able to measure your pronation, stride length, running power, and running economy, as well as give suggestions through their app on what steps to take to improve your running performance and decrease your risk of injury, based off your own personal running data. I had the opportunity to talk to Grant Trawartha, a biomechanist working at Nerve, about how the insole works, what advantages there are for runners to use it, and what this insole could be used for in the coming years. Could you give me a little bit of your background? I saw you did some work with uh, rugby injuries. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I, I guess by, by, by training, I uh, so as I left school, I, I went and did what we call in the UK a sport and exercise science degree, but maybe kinesiology as far as the states are concerned. Um, so that was an undergraduate degree. Uh, enjoyed that. Uh, stayed on and moved into a, in, into do a, a PhD. Uh, so it was a bit of a departure for me, my PhD. I, yeah, it was, it was good fun, but that was trying to develop, uh, this is sort of late, late nineties, uh, sort of a video based method for marker free tracking of, of movement, which is a very popular thing to do now. Uh, but it was, it was, it was kind of new at the, the time. And that was, that was good. Uh, spent three years doing that. We, we tend to do PhDs a little bit quicker in, uh, across here. Um, and moved straight into, um, yeah, so I moved straight into, a, I guess, a faculty position. So I moved university, down to University of Bath, uh, and spent 15 years there within a, a really a, a sport and exercise science group, albeit we were in a bigger department for health uh, unit uh, or faculty. Um, yeah, 15 years of, of research, of teaching, of, of, of management in a, in a faculty position. Um, so... Again, they quite quickly got more interested in the biomechanics. Typically, at least in sport and exercise, you view it as, you know, you're either looking at movement, you're looking at human movement typically, uh, and, you know, either to improve a performance, so maybe optimize technique of an athlete, or perhaps to, to reduce injury. And, and those two things aren't mutually exclusive, but that tends to be the, the, the two primary goals. And I very quickly gravitated to the idea that, you know, I'm more interested in the, the injury prevention side. Um, and that was doing primarily biomechanics-based studies, so analysing human movement, understanding why people were doing things certain ways, 
what effect does an intervention have in terms of perhaps reducing the load on on, on the body and still allowing the performance to happen? Uh, did through that time start kind of branching out a little bit more, um, partly into the clinical sense, doing a little bit of musculoskeletal modeling, computer simulation modeling, and with the rugby studies, um, rather than just look at the the biomechanics of things, we actually wanted to say, well, what difference does it make to injury? So that takes you into epidemiology, essentially. So injury surveillance and understanding, you know, the interventions that we were making, does it actually have an impact in, in sort of the real setting and does it reduce injuries when, when the athletes are out on, on, on the pitch? So, yeah, primarily, you know, for a good decade there, it was mainly rugby union, mainly injury prevention. Um, and uh, that kind of takes me up, that took me up really to the point where, um, I guess I decided a, a bit of a change would be good. I'd done academia for 15 years, felt like uh, experiencing a, a different type of environment and yeah, the opportunity to came along to move into a, a sort of startup sports technology uh, company. So that was 2016. That's when I joined uh, NERV. Was there a reason why you worked with rugby in particular as opposed to another sport? Yeah, well... Ooh, good question. I was a lot of personal interest. It was one of my sports uh, that I played at, at, at the time. Um, it's uh, I know well rugby is a growing growing sport in in the states, so probably more people familiar with it. It's obviously a pretty dynamic sport. It's a collision sport. So for someone that was interested in generally speaking, sort of dynamic movement and injuries, I guess is a fairly nat natural uh, a natural fit there. Um, and at the time, um, you know, it was myself and there was a group of us at, at Bath that, you know, kind of started to do rugby science research in general. But probably there was a there was an opening there, there was a niche there. The you know, the the research within rugby union was kind of in its infancy. There had been you know, there had been work done, there had been research done, but uh, there was lots of areas of the sport that were, I guess, sort of untapped in terms of uh sports science research. So, uh, yeah, a few drivers, but, you know, a lot of a lot of personal interest and just the, there's lots going on on a rugby pitch that, that, that are interesting, you know, it's interesting from a from an injury prevention point of view. What got your interest um, in kinesiology and biomechanics in general? Uh, as I say, I guess that's that's going back to sort of school leaving days. Uh, so that's a long time ago, uh, but mainly yeah it's the it's it's the mix of sport and science that's basically what it what it boils down to uh definitely playing lots of sport as a youngster uh you know science whether, whether it was and to be honest at the time of going to university i think i had we have this thing where you do a list of at the time i think the six courses you can apply for well five of them were chemistry and i had one kinesiology course on the list and i don't know why but i just decided that that was going to be the direction that i i, I headed in and uh yeah, I haven't I haven't regretted it, uh, but it's yeah, it's the mix of mix of sport and science really was the was the driver. So skipping ahead to I guess you said twenty sixteen um, when Nerve kind of started out. Can you tell me what was going on then? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, just uh, I guess now a fairly typical sort of st startup situation. We're fortunate. We our our founders have a um, of of Nerve have a very successful other other business uh that, that's in this sort of impact protection so phone case type uh so yeah well they make phone cases uh and for other peripherals as well but they were in the you know obviously in the impact protection field uh they knew that they wanted to maybe branch out and see whether the sort of the impact protection side of things could be applied to other other fields 
and just decided they're actually a separate, you know, rather than doing that within the, you know, the existing business, they would they would spin out essentially and and do it um, do it through through Nerve, uh, a new a new venture. Um, and so the, the very original ideas were, was was to bring because they were having to do quite a lot of testing of their phone cases and you know impact situations. There was a you know they were beginning to get uh, you know build up some knowledge and an IP around sen- you know sensors in order to do that testing. And the idea with Nerve was to bring those two things together: the sort of impact protection and the, the sensing side of things. And um, as it as it transpired through you know our very sort of initial market analysis and. You know, we knew it was going to be sport was going to be the you know first thing to move it move into. Um, you know, I got talking to them. There was you know the I guess the first few people through the door talking about options and actually uh, they for the most part the impact protection thing just you know slipped into the background a little bit and it became more about the sensors and about the wearable technology. Um, and we just we did some work and we, when we felt that running was probably the. Um, you know, it was a natural place to start as a sport within its own right, uh, but also a sport that you do or many people do as part of their their training for for other for other sports as well. Um, yeah, so that was I, I guess that's the genesis of of, of Nerve, and there was a you know a, a development as I said development cycle to to go through, and eventually we launched Nerve Run, which is our first main product, uh, right at the beginning of two thousand twenty. Yeah, so we went through sort of a, a launch phase that you know nicely coincided with a global pandemic. But uh, they, there you go; these things happen. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's uh, I guess the sort of the very beginnings in a, a sort of you know a three a three year sort of development cycle with you know usual thing, lots of obstacles, lots of uh, lots of learning to be done within that in order to try and get a product uh, a product out the door. How did they find you, or were you previously friends with the people um, involved? No, uh, actually, it was. I mean, going back to the to to be honest, going back to the rugby injury prevention side of things. So, I guess we, you know, I you know, I was in a group in working with the research group at Bath. Uh, the the first few people at Nerve had obviously had some internal conversations. the The original idea was to this impact protection sensing, so kind of smart protection in sport. Uh, so we actually, as a research group at Bath, did some consultancy for 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 Nerve, basically. So it started out as a consultancy opportunity for me. That's you know kind of my, uh, I guess my personal link into Nerve. that just kind of snowballed from there. Um, I guess from from I don't know what you'd have to ask the the founders and the, the early people at Nerve what they thought. But from my personal viewpoint, it was you know it was a, it was a case of seeing that you know, here was a a group of people in in industry that uh, you know were interested in um i guess to, you know you know doing doing things properly i just had a lot of enthusiasm for it it was definitely in an area that i was you know already engaged in and um i guess it fell at a time when um i was you know still enjoying the whole academic side of things but i was ready for another uh, another opportunity so uh yeah so uh, when it boils down to it i guess it was uh, sort of consultancy that turned into a, a more of a full-time employment Okay. So we've talked to a number of people on this podcast that um, have started or are starting startups. And could you contrast your experiences working in academia to what you're doing now at a startup? Yeah. Um, so lots of lots of similarities, particularly if you're, if, I mean, if you're focusing on saying, you know, a lot of the time in, in, in 
if you're at a sort of a research intensive university, so you you know you're spending some time in, I would say the research in the academic sense is not that dissimilar to to the type of work and the way of working within uh, with, with within startup. Obviously, you know you'd probably you know the, the teaching side is a bit different. You're not I've not really taken any any of that that forward. But from the from the research and development point of view, lots of um, lots of similarities, I would say. Um, the you know in my, in my personal situation i guess i was i was at a point where i was sort of managing quite a lot of research and one of the drivers for me moving over was to get back into the the sort of the nitty gritty of doing the technical stuff because i guess that's that's maybe where i um enjoy things there, there is an argument i think certainly within the startup environment is it's um well there's lots going on. You definitely have to be quite flexible because typically you're in a smaller group. You don't have the support services around you, the different departments. So if there's, you know, if, I, if I'm a scientist, but maybe there's more of an engineering task that needs to be done. Well, in the university, you know that there's going to be people that you can immediately go and talk to and start up. Maybe, maybe you delve into some other areas that you would that you wouldn't necessarily have to within, you know, within academic research because the, you know. Um, yeah, so you probably become a bit of a jack, you know, more of a jack of all trades. Get your feet wet in different areas. I think that's that's a good thing. Uh, I enjoy that part of it. Certainly moved into moved into some areas, you know, ever so slightly more sort of engineering wise, ever so slightly more marketing wise. I, I don't think I would have I would have got to as an as an academic researcher. Um, so all all of that's that's been good. I think you are yeah you 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 definitely get open up and as a as a scientist in a startup, you definitely see more of the, and trying to get a product out the door, it's it's genuinely multidisciplinary. So it's not just, oh, some scientist, so I'm working with a scientist that knows some slightly different stuff to what I do, that's a collaboration, or you know, somebody in a different group or the next door lab, and you say, oh, well, we're kind of different, so we can collaborate. But, I mean, the differences are bigger. You know, you're working with, you know, it's it's, it's marketing, it's it's firmware engineering, it, it's the hard, you know, the hardware side for a wearable technology product. So the the element of multidisciplinarity, if that's a word, but you know, the different backgrounds of people that you're talking to, it is is broader, I, and that's exciting. I think that's good as well. That's I definitely like that about the the, the sort of startup environment that you're genuinely working with people that are coming at it from a different perspective. And sometimes that takes, you know, it t- you get all the challenges within that in terms of you're not quite speaking the same language or you don't view the world in the you know in the same way. But that's that's both challenging and 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 good. Um, so yeah, maybe a couple of the the, the differences between the, the two environments. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I'll personally say um, something that I find unattractive about following down kind of a straight physics academia path is you're so deep in one extremely, extremely specific niche. And I kind of like to do everything poorly rather than do one thing really well, which isn't, it's not great in terms of job prospects. It's uh, it is an issue, and and you're right. You know, you know, if you're genuinely going to push back a an area in science, then obviously you need to, you know, that needs to be your, uh, that needs to be your focus. And but it, I mean, I agree. I you know, you know, for a long time that was. But even when I was in academia, I could have you could argue I was I was too much of a a gen, you know journalist. I was sometimes doing a bit of epidemiology, sometimes doing biomechanics, blah blah blah. Um, and uh, you know, I know you need you need you know you need certainly in academia. I think you need people that are really willing to go into the, the depths at the same time as you need some people that are willing to become a bit more generalist. But um, yeah, I think industry, the particularly in a small group startup environment, you, yeah, you, you probably, I guess a startup can't afford to carry 
too many. If everybody, you know, you can't afford to carry pure specialists in, in all areas and, and people that are only very, very narrow because it's just, yeah, there's too much uh, bases to cover and, you, you know, you're in a small group. Can you say roughly how many people work at Nerve? Is it a dozen or like a hundred? Yeah, no. I'd, so it's in in the region of twenty to thirty. So we're still, I would say, a, a small group, even though we've been in existence for a while. But um, we're, yeah, I think we're in the region of twenty to thirty. Um, we've. It's quite nice. It's not always. It, it wasn't always lightness at Nerve, but we've managed over the short time that we're there that we do actually have in house sort of end. We can do the end end sort of you know so to begin with we were perhaps building our first app you know doing an awful lot with it you know nothing wrong with it but you're working with uh, third parties and likewise our you know our firmware engineering was initially was a third party you know all, you know all good people very skilled people but it wasn't in you know it wasn't in house whereas that's taken us a bit of time to say oh, actually and I think particularly for the type of product that we were developing I think we have managed to accelerate things when we can actually do the you know, from the, you know, very, I guess, the creative sort of planning side of things all the way through to, the, you know, the logic, the the, firm, the hardware, the firmware, and, I, and the app development side of things as well. Um, it's, you know, so it's a small group, but it's a group that can do the, that can actually take things through from beginning to end. Yeah, the full stack of it. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Could you just summarize what is Nerve Run? Well, I will try. Yeah, it's uh, I mean it's a wearable technology product, very much focused uh, for 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 runners. Uh, and at the moment, we're we're talking mainly about endurance running uh, rather than rather than sprinting. No no reason that uh, we couldn't be applied at some later stage of sprinting. But at the moment, we've concentrated on um, what we feel is the, the the important features for endurance running. Um, so as a wearable technology product, we have some sensors. We are primarily foot-based, so that's maybe one one point of difference to uh, what people might be used to. You know, so you know, you, are, you know, a sports watch is a you know is a piece of wearable technology. It's obviously wrist-worn. Uh, runners are very comfortable and and used to to, to wearing uh, watches. We we decided quite early to to go foot-based for a, a couple of reasons, but the main one being that. Um, from the very start, we were we were keen to you know make sure that via nerve run somebody could understand you know what they were doing, what their running performance was in the usual way, speed, distance, time, uh, but also to give the runner more information on how they were running. So essentially, their running form. Um, now, and from the foot, you can you can do a bit more than you can from the wrist. I'm not saying that you can do everything that you'd ever want to do. Uh, but in terms of the, you know, some of the important metrics for for runners, whether that be describing the stride, so cadence and step length, and describing what the foot is doing during contact. So you know, not every runner, but a lot of runners interested in how their foot's hitting the ground. So foot strike, rear foot, mid foot, forefoot, or how much the foot is rolling as it contacts the ground. So that's pronation. So the, the, you know, these are things that you know quite difficult to do from a distance, but. We have um, we have sensors, so really a combination of pressure insoles. So we've got thin insoles that fit in underneath the the, the original shoe liner. So you basically take the shoe liner out, put nerve in underneath, and you've got some thin uh, pressure pressure insoles there. Sixteen sensors in each foot or under each foot. You put your shoe liner back in, um, and then from there we have two pods or trackers that attach onto the side of the side of the shoe or connect the insole to. Uh, to some electronics and, and the trackers have their own technology or own sensors in there as, as well. So they, they deal with the data coming from the from the insoles, but 
but they also have their own sort of IMUs, GPS receiver, barometers um, in there as well, so that we can do the, um, well, you know, we can do the, the the performance side of running, and we can also do the technique side of running. And uh, we we then talk via Bluetooth to either a running watch, um, Apple Watch, Garmin Watch, uh, or we can talk direct to the to the phone app. Um, and um, yeah, so we we have. I mean, that's the basic situation. I guess you know, in addition to the to the to the drive to give a bit more information around running form, whether that be. You know, after the after the session, but we also wanted to to give that runner the, the runner that information during the session as well. So we do we do a fair amount of real time coaching, I guess, or at least technique feedback uh, during a run, and that can be delivered either you know, um, well via you know simple stuff on the watch. You, you can glance at a phone, but we 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 felt from the start that a nice way to do it would be through audio as well. So nearly nearly all of the feedback that we give on the screen, we also give via Bluetooth headphones. So it is possible to run with Nerve in quite a few different ways. So interacting with watches and phones and headphones, or you just let it do its own thing. There's a button on the side of Nerve that allows you to run uh, phone-free, which you get all the information, but you just don't get the real-time. We don't have any way of delivering the real-time information. So, uh, But different runners like to run with different quantities of feedback. You know, some, some people like it just at the end. Some people like it during the run. So we try and, we try and cater for... For, for most of that, um, well, most of those situations. Could you give me an example? Uh, because I saw that I think that it's called Run Coach. We've got Form Coach. If that's what you, if that's the one, yeah. Form yeah. Coach. So would you be running, for example, and you'll hear something in your ear that says "take longer strides" or "shorten your stride"? Is that the kind of thing you'd be hearing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and, and we've moved. Generally speaking, we've moved to try and do things via tones. The the verbal side of things is. Again, not everybody's the same, but typically it's a bit quicker and a bit and a bit more. Uh, well, I think it's a bit more friendly to do things via tones. We do have some verbal feedback in our in our product as well. But uh, yeah, so you're you're very close to the mark. So form coach is a relatively recent feature that we've brought in that that you know has been a, a few years in development. We've kind of done the the I guess we've done the studies and then eventually it's we've managed to get it into the product. But we've tried. We were keen, I, I think, you know, mentioned, say, okay, how are you running? What's your running form? How does that link to either maybe your 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 the, how healthy your running is or what your injury risk is? So we have a running health feature where we take the metrics that we measure that we know from research have an influence on injury risk, and that goes into running health, uh, and that provides a bit of a, a loop, I guess, in terms of the you know injury prevention side. Form coach is 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 our way of of looking more at the performance piece. Uh, so we have a well, I guess it's a dependent variable, uh, but in form coach, we, what we're trying to do is optimize running economy. Uh, so that's our that's our performance metric. So rather than than choose pace, or because people want to run at different paces depending on distances or you know, and and you know ability, but so but we know that if if a runner can can maximize their running economy, that makes a big difference directly to to performance. Either they can run a given distance faster, or they can run for run for longer. If they can run essentially more more efficiently, so we, you know what we're trying to do with Inform Coach is say, okay, we're going to try and we're going to try and help you maximize your running economy for this given pace that you're running at. So you tell us your preferred distance, what pace you're hoping to run it at, and we will look into your your running, your profile that you know we've collected ever since you've owned Nerve, and we're going to show you that okay, this is how you 
this is when you run your typical running form, your cadence, your step lengths, your foot strike, this is your running economy. But actually over here, you're running economy, you actually run with better running economy over here when your technique combination is a little bit different. So maybe you're, when you run with a slightly higher cadence than normal, maybe you drop your step length. In rare occasions, maybe instead of running rear foot, you run midfoot, your running economy actually improves. And that's specific to you. So we're not saying this is a universal rule for all runners, but it's in your profile. This is where you run best because it optimizes your running economy. And form coach kind of looks in all of, you know, looks at the profile. We chunk each run down into very short 50 meter sections. And we look at, okay, for this 50 meter section, what was the economy, the cadence, the step length, the foot strike? And then we say, well, that's fine. Um, we've got all of that information and we know that running economy over here is is maximized and this is the technique mix that, that allows that to run it and, and form coach is about trying to then nudge say to them in this pace bracket this actually from a form point of view a technique point of view this is maybe where you want to be because it maximizes your running economy uh, and that, that at the moment is what form coach does and it says okay so maybe actually if you up your cadence by three steps per minute you're going to run with more economy and then we can take people out to our cadence workout so it's a coached workout where they can then you know um, they can break it down they can build a workout that, that helps them progress through to a you know to run with that higher higher cadence um so yeah so it's a yeah so it's a feature that really tries to to help on the running performance side of things and link tech technique or running form to you know to that performance metric okay um could we take a step back and just talk about running itself for a moment? So you mentioned, um, I, I'm curious to know what are the variables you care about for running. It sounds like there's stride length, uh, cadence yeah. and foot strike. Yeah, no, I mean, of course there, there are more, but, but at least with some of those, that's probably where I would start. Certainly from a running performance uh, point of view. I mean, I think, you know, there's a really nice, you know, in a way, nice mechanical relationship that that is well known, but at the same time, I think sometimes underappreciated within the running community, which just says that, okay, if speed is your thing, if you want, you know, you want to increase your running speed. Well, in order to do that, you've got basically, there are two things that make up running speed. It's cadence multiplied by step length. So cadence, the number of steps you take per minute, multiplied by step length, how long each of those steps is. You, you, you multiply cadence by step length and that is your running speed. And there's nothing you can do to, to you know, to make that not true. That's, that's the mechanical relationship. Now, there are lots of things that you can do that will then impact upon what cadence can you achieve or sustain? What step length can you achieve? You know, and that's where you maybe get into more of the physiology, the sort of physiological or the, the training side of things. But that, that mechanical relationship, I think, is a nice place to start. So speed, speed equals cadence times step length, because really everything else can come in underneath that. And you can begin to start thinking about, okay, well, how do some of the other metrics maybe maybe influence that? So, uh, you know, as I say, and that could be more on the, the, the physiology side. So how, how do you maintain a step length and, you know, what's required? Uh, uh, but yeah, that, that, that from a performance point of view, those would be the three metrics I would start with, speed, cadence, step length. Um, the... Um, you know, we we do we, we have a, other other metrics that are a bit more on the you could argue on the injury side of things. So pronation is you know it's it's you know it's a mixed bag in terms of what you know the, what people currently believe now. You know, it used to be the case that oh well, over pronation 
needs to be avoided and that's that's the whole thing around to be honest running footwear has been since the 70s is kind of you've got overpronation we'll put you in a pair of support shoes or, or motion control shoes and you know again and that kind of changed slightly to say well actually let's remember that pronation is actually a really important part of the running foot contact it's, it's a way of the body absorbing some of the energy of the of the impact that initial rolling of the foot so you don't want to be landing with a rigid foot which would be under pronation and that can lead to to injury as well so it's this sort of idea there's this go you know kind of it's a goldilocks um, sort of metric you want to be somewhere in the middle basically uh, not too much not too little so um that's another metric that we you know that we give back to the runner more on the the injury side of things um yeah, and then uh, you know, and, and and foot strike again is it's difficult, and we try we we try quite hard because of, you know in a way the research that we read suggests that there's not a universe you know there's not a universal best foot strike for for a runner. Uh, there may be reasons why certain runners might want to to go through a foot strike modification or or transition. So you know, arguably a, a runner that's maybe had shin or knee problems that is. That is a heavy rear foot striker. It's it's probably you know if they've tried other stuff, it may be worth it may be worth their while to to think about okay, rather than being a heavy rear foot striker, I might gradually try and adapt to be more of a mid foot mid foot striker. Um, you know, but likewise, somebody that um, you know that knows that they've had Achilles or calf problems, probably you know the idea that they would want to move to be a front foot or a four foot striker is you know again. A, the front foot striker puts a lot of additional stress on the on the sort of you know posterior the, the the rear part you know Achilles tendon calf so you know front foot striking maybe if that's what they're doing maybe because somebody said you must be a front foot striker well that might be a case of again moving back into a more sort of mid foot mid foot strike uh, position for them so those are yeah some of the metrics that we that, that we look at so there's not a default optimal pronation um, amount on an individual basis but if you use nerve you can measure what your pronation is like and yeah. if you're injured or if things aren't feeling right you can you'll at least have data to be able to adjust consciously is that the idea yeah i mean in, in the absence of you know this is a kind of a continual work in progress in terms of you know what would be nice you know you know whatever we look you know thinks in a way wearable technology and i and i think it's just to be honest simplistic given that you know, particularly when you talk about injury or performance, it's all very, it's quite individualized, it's quite multifactorial. So are you ever going to capture enough information to be very definite in your, there are some things that we can be quite definite about in terms of recommendations back to runners and other things where it, it is a sort of an individual specific thing. So as much as possible, we try and just say, right, this is, this is you, you know, the baseline isn't some sort of, you know, average runner or ideal runner. The baseline is, you know, this is how you run. Now, we, you know, we have, you know, we've lots of, you know, anecdotes coming back from people that, that would say, well, okay, well, let's have a look at your pronation, left and right. We can, you know, well, let's let's have a look at, is it, is it different between your left and your right foot? Okay, my right foot is actually, you know, it's neutral or, or close to neutral. And, you know, on average, that's probably a good thing. Uh, it means that you're in that sort of intermediate amount. Whereas your left foot, for whatever reason, previous injury, uh, you know, something to do with the static posture of your, your, your foot, you've got, you know, excessive excessive pronation and in fact you've got some pain you know you've got some pain uh, you know uh, so somebody might have that niggle i guess without nerve or a similar wearable technology maybe they pick up on it maybe they don't but we have had people say well i know I, I went out with nerve and it really showed me i did have this sort of imbalance in terms of left and right and that that 
that kind of you know motivated me to go and you know have a chat to physio or you know a therapist uh and yeah and, you know we found something and now i'm now i'm using nerve to try and you know along with you know physical you know physical exercises or physical rehabilitation i'm now using nerve to monitor whether i can kind of balance things out a little bit a little bit more so i think that's where uh well i think that's one of the rules of, of wearable technology for for runners is you know sometimes just the sometimes it's a confirmation sometimes it actually brings up something new and maybe motivates you to you know to, to concentrate on on some aspects of either your conditioning or your running technique stepping back again to running economy can, i don't i'm not looking for a formula but can you tell me roughly what is running economy and how do you calculate it yeah yeah i mean it's so i mean as a analogy then it's you know if you think about cars and fuel economy it's it it is is quite similar so if we talked about miles per gallon uh for you know for a motor vehicle uh the, the way that we and there are different ways of measuring running economy but the way that we look at it is is distance per calorie so whether you're working in meters or feet but our units in the end are basically how far are you traveling for every calorie that you're putting in so it's how much running are you getting out or you know based on the energy that you're putting into your you're running so if, if calories is that you know that unit of energy expenditure uh so this is the energy that you're burning up you know and so for us the way and we've, we've done a bit of a transformation to make uh a high value good because we think on the whole that's what people's brain kind of would say okay high value is good rather than because the the research way of doing running economy is to say is to make a low value is good, but you know we're a consumer product, and you know so we've done a bit of transformation to say that if you can, you know, a, a running economy of ten meters per calorie is a better running economy than eight meters per calorie, because again you're you you're you're getting more running out of the energy that you're that you're putting in, uh, and you know it, and roughly how it's calculated is by having an idea of a, a kind of a real time calories burn algorithm running so you've got a kind of an idea of what that that at that moment what's what's the energy expenditure or the calories being burned and what speed is this person running at so i mean ultimately it's running a you said you didn't want a formula but i'm gonna give you <laughs> i'm happy with the formula <laughs> yeah yeah I, I thought you might be um, but the running you know running economy is the you know the the burn rate the energy burn rate or the calorie burn rate divided by the speed because what that means is that either if you can be using less energy for a given speed, you're you've got a higher running economy, uh, you know, or you know, uh, so or you've got the same amount, you know, for the same energy calorie burn, you're running at a higher speed. Then again, you've got a better running economy, uh, and and I say that's not typically, you know, if you went to the academic literature, they would they would be talking about things. So running economy would be measured in a in a sort of oxygen consumption for a given I was going to ask state. how you measure yeah. energy consumption. Yeah, it's uh well, so so for us we we're using the sensors on board to, you know, we've got a mapping between and we've done the we've done the sort of the lab research to say, you know, people wearing nerve but also wearing so what you're typically doing is wearing metabolic uh apparatus so something that can measure your oxygen and well your oxygen consumption your carbon dioxide production so that that's that's the gold standard if you like or you know the realistic gold standard for measuring energy expenditure is to is to do sort of the oxygen and carbon dioxide analysis and you get your energy cost from there and we've done the mapping between you know people running under different conditions and what nerve can see 
uh, versus what's actually happening with the metabolics. And then, so that's that's how we do it in the field is that we've, you know, we've got this idea of, you know, we've got an energy burn algorithm, basically speed we get from our sensors. Um, and, and yeah, that's how we get to get to running economy. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just that it's, it, it's um, you know, going to, you know, why running economy? But it's one of it's one of the sort of key physiological parameters that can describe, uh, that can discriminate against runners. Uh, you know the other ones being things like VO two max is you know it's commonly known, you know your maximum maximum oxygen uptake. Uh, but in a group of runners that have a similar VO two max, they still perform slightly differently. And there's at least you know a decent amount of research that says actually the, the discriminator is the running economy. Is you know some some runners can 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 run. Uh, you know more efficiently and and that's what takes them to the you know similar vo2 max or similar maximum capacity but they, they're just using it more using it more efficiently so that's that's one of the reasons why we've uh sort of chosen running economy as a you know as a key metric to to then link technique to because there are lots of things that can affect running economy one of but one of the things it can is running form and that's obviously what we are best placed to talk about because of the you know what we're measuring if you don't mind, what else? Just, I'm curious. What else affects your running economy besides form? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you're into yeah. I mean, you're into genetics. Uh, in, a, in any given running session, you're into the, the environment. You know, temperature, humidity, uh, running economy. You know, uh, training status, uh, muscle fiber composition. Um, you know, if you like, general fitness markers. Uh, so that yes, there's. There's quite there's quite a lot that can fit in you know that goes under the umbrella of you know factors affecting running economy so you know we, we are aware that but I guess in in some senses some of those are you can't do anything about you know age you, you know it will affect your running economy there, there are certain non modifiable factors in there but you know one group of the mod you know, the modifiable stuff is 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 definitely running running form probably along with you know the type of training that you the type of training that you're doing as well. Do you have to ask users or maybe you can, if you have sensors, you can just acquire it automatically for some of this anyways, but, or is yeah. it not such a strong function of these variables? Yeah. I mean, so, so for us, we certainly have the, if you like the demographics of the, of the user, because throughout our product, there are, you know, you know, a lot, you know, a good number of our algorithms that are affected by, you know, we make sure that, you know, where age is, is a known factor or sex is a known factor that we, we have that mass is another thing that, you know, so, you know, to be honest, you know, controlling body masses definitely has an influence on, on running economy as well. Uh, so we, we definitely go for the demographics. At, at the moment, we um, for us we don't um, we don't pay too much attention to the to the to the environment. It you know it's it's on the list. It'd be a nice thing to do. I, I guess what that does is you know because for a given running session, you know one of the things that we're doing is you know trying to give the runner back. How did your running economy vary across this session? And I suppose to some extent, those environmental factors we'd expect to be relatively stable. That's not always the case, particularly on an extended run. Uh, but it's more like a systematic shift of, you know, it takes you from year to year. Uh, so yeah, it, it would be a nice thing for us to, to include. It's, it's definitely on the list, but you've got to do, uh, yeah, you've got to work through it, I suppose. So are you a runner yourself? Uh, yeah, I've always, I've always run. I would probably say it's never been, it's never been my primary sport. So I'm kind of one of those people I mentioned earlier. Of, you know, in a way, used running for a long time just for enjoyment and as a way to train for for other sports. Um, but I mean, I have, I, well, I found myself in the London Marathon this year. So uh, 
yeah, so that's October because that's that's shifted uh, again due to, well, it's shifted for the last couple of years. Uh, but I keep entering it, and I keep you know for about the last eight years I've entered it, and you never get a space because it's hugely popular. And thrilling enough, this year I managed to get a space. So <laughs> uh, I've just started uh, a twenty-week kind of intended twenty-week program. So I'm about week two into that twenty weeks, and um, yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm kind of getting back into uh, back into my running. So I'm enjoying it at the moment. It's uh, although it, with an October marathon, it doesn't mean I'm going to have to do all the training through summer, which summers don't get too hot here, but it's still, uh, yeah, it's, it's still going to be sort of training through the warmer months of the of the year. But uh, yeah, so hopefully I can get to that start line and, and and see just see how we go. But it's not something I've not I've not done a big road marathon before, so I'm quite looking forward to it. It's, everybody always says the atmosphere is great and that, those sorts of things. So. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. So I guess I, you know, I guess I've, I've always run. I and at the moment I'm doing a little bit, a little bit more with a view to having to get round, uh, having to get round the marathon. Okay. So do you use Nerve Run yourself? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I'm a committed user. Uh, so I yeah. I, mean, I use it. I, I think almost in all, almost all of my runs. Um, I probably if, on the odd occasion that I do. Um, like a very a very off road run, then maybe I won't take nerve with me. Uh, but but anything other than that, I I, I have it. You know, yeah. Well, I, I think I'm kind of, you know, a bit. You know, it helps. I'm you know involved in all the testing of the new features anyway. So you know, I use it as part of you know sort of testing the product, but also, um, yeah, it's what I use as my training training device, I guess. Does Nerve work off road, uh, like on dirt paths? Um, do you have to worry about getting dirty on like a muddy oh, trail? Yeah, uh, no, uh, no, not not in that second part. There, there is a the, yeah, there is an interesting point there around you know if you like the, on the data side or the data side of things around what what do you get back? But you know as a as a product, then we've we've designed it and it was one of the big, big challenges through the development program was to make sure that you know the product was was capable of surviving. You know, running conditions. So you know, we're, we're not talking about going swimming. You know, swimming with nerve, but we are talking about you know puddles and rain and and whatnot. So it, it was one of the big sort of uh, hardware technical challenges to make sure that we were happy that we you know that when we sent this out that it was going to last and it withstand uh, sort of the sort of environments that you know the, the runners put their themselves through uh, and therefore they're yeah you know, it's quite a hostile environment actually going into going into a shoe. Uh, you know, there's this temperature, there's humidity, there's yeah, there's this kind of genuine, genuine moisture. So, yeah, we've you know, we, um, yeah, we spent a lot of time in in development around making sure that was that was possible. Um, so it can definitely withstand uh, trail running. Uh, as far as the data goes, is it? I've had a couple of interesting conversations with with people because there are there's two ways of looking at it. You know, the, I mean, one way is to say as you trail run, you know, in terms of foot strike pronation. Even cadence and step and things are going to be, you know, it's going to be variable. It's going to be choppy. You're on a, you're on a surface, so it's going to mess up my data, isn't it? Um, I guess to which my response is yes, it's going to change the data you get out. But actually, from a measurement point of view, that's actually a, a good thing because you know if you think about pronation on an uneven surface, then you, you should expect that to be quite variable. And actually, as as the company is kind of giving you that feedback back, I'd be a bit disappointed if we just said, oh, your pronation is just the same. In your, you know, kind of trail run as it is on on the road, because that's unlikely to be the, the case. So yes, if you're in, so 
I guess there's a there's an interpretation piece there. There's you know if if what you're doing if you're using Nerve to get an idea of okay what's my ba- you know basically what's my baseline technique then and we can do this because we can tag runs and such like so we can drop certain things out. But maybe you don't go to one of your trail runs to say you know what's my normal technique, but you can go to your trail runs to say well actually I'm interested what effect does running on a different surface or you know inclines decline what effect does that have on some of my running metrics because no the nerve data will change i mean it, we know that now it will you know it's quite sensitive to to to, to terrain when people are you know sh- you know shifting about in in terms of how their foot's landing um our data is sensitive to different types of footwear as, as well so you can do those those comparisons we you know there's not loads and loads of tools within the app to you know to you know we don't have a a, you know a shoe comparison sort of feature or anything like that but if if you've done some runs that you know that were similar but in different shoes then you can go in and, and you know if you're a i guess a self-starter on that front then um you, you know our, you you would expect you should expect our data to to change for for footwear and for trail runs and i guess to, so a bit long-winded for me but i guess yeah you know for my part it does change running on different surfaces changes the data but actually, I'm quite comfortable with that. And, you know, we have a job to maybe, um, we're always trying to do better to say, you know, to explain that and do the recommendations off the back of things. But I'm quite comfortable that the data does change because I think your running form changes. Yeah, that's a fair point. I It was clear that, well, I would be surprised if you told me that it didn't change when you're running on um, variable hardness surfaces uh, or different shoes. Um, I know whenever I've done trail running, it's half the time just stepping on rocks and awkwardly landed trees. Um, is it comfortable to wear this? So I have a few runner friends and I ran nerve run by them just to see if they had questions to ask you. And their top concern was just, is it going to be comfortable on a 13 mile run? Um, can I notice that it's there? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, again, it was a, it's a you know we're putting something into a shoe, so it was it was one of the the big things for us to think about during development, and um, you know, is I wouldn't say that nerve is invisible, uh, but I, you know, I, you know, I, I, I again, I'm used to it, but I, you know, I did ten miles this morning and I was wearing wearing nerve, so I would I would I'd be quite happy to wear nerve on an extended you know road, uh, run, um, and even a trail run if we're talking paths. I'd say that you know the one exception for me is on the odd occasion if I'm to go off and do some genuine sort of mountain running or you know I'd probably leave it at home just because again of the you know when you do have your you know if the ankle's rolling a lot during ground contacts then we do you know our insole is connected to a tracker on the side and you can you can over an extended period begin to begin to feel it but for you know for the runner that's spending most of their time on the road or paths um, you know we've done the testing around. You know, actually, you know, the mechanical properties testing around what effect does having the nerve insole in the shoe, what effect does it make to, you know, cushioning, to energy absorption, to bending stiffness. So, you know, we sent that off to independent labs. And, you know, you know, ultimately, when you consider the stack of material in a running shoe, we're about a millimetre thick and we're quite flexible. Uh, so really, we don't, you know, we don't make a difference to, to, to the actual material properties of a, of a running shoe. Um so you know, at that point, then it's just with proper installation. You know, we, you know, our, um, yeah, our, you know, and we did comfort testing through through development, and it always came back well. And in fact, generally speaking, the more people wear 
nerve or use nerve in their running, they kind of, in a way, the higher the comfort, you know, it's not a case of, oh, eventually I realise it starts to become less comfortable. Generally speaking, it was it was the opposite. It was, you know, there is that sort of first impression of, oh, is it making a difference? But generally speaking, as people wear it, they tend to, you know, they tend to feel that it's, you know, the difference in comfort between it, nerve being in and not being in is, is quite negligible. Does this insert wear down over time? So a normal trainers for me last a few hundred miles. Um, what am I yeah. looking at here for this? So so we so we have had insoles that have lasted longer, but we, we warranted to a thousand miles. Uh, so that that was our target, to be honest. And that's that's you know that's what we warranted to. So you're right. That's maybe it's, it's two pairs of trainers, if not three, for you know for for most people. And that's just the that, I guess to be clear, that's the you know we have. I guess three main components: the insole being one, the tracker or the pods being second, and I guess the phone or the watch being the third one. Now, the, the bit that wears down is, you know, over time is the the, the insole, uh, but but ultimately that is replaceable at a, you know, obviously there's you know the cost of the system. But the trackers, the trackers, if you like, the brains, they they'll keep on going for you know forever essentially, and it is possible just like you would with a pair of trainers, ultimately to 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 replace the the, the insoles or for the very keen beans, you know, because again, lots of runners have multiple pairs of shoes at the same time. If you don't want, because it is possible to transfer a nerve insole between different pairs of shoes as you wear them on different days, or you can have multiple pairs of insoles if you're particularly keen. Uh, so that's one way of doing it. But it is a, you know, there is a, uh, as I say, you know, we we aim to make sure that we were lasting longer than trainers, uh, and depending on how long you keep your trainers, but it's two or three. Two or three pairs of, of trainers before maybe a nerve insole needs needs replacing. Just out of curiosity, when the insole has reached its end of life, how do you know? Do the pressure sensors just stop functioning? Uh, well, I mean, it tends to be a bit more. It tends to be a bit more gradual than that. But uh, yes, I mean, ultimately, you know, we. So I mean, we have a we we have a metric that comes through back to if you like home base which tells you know we've got something that basically tells us the the health status of the of the insole and it's and it's a little bit around you know you, you start here and eventually things kind of you know in terms of sensor output they can you know, they, they do narrow over time so the, the sensor the sensor ages so um uh, and i am very i guess if you could take it to the extreme then you'd start to see um you know i i, I guess i'm maybe a marked influence on metrics that you know should be more subtle than that, whether that be, you know, pronation or, or foot strike even. Um, so um, it does tend to, it does tend to kind of coincide with, uh, it just looks a bit older, you know, so I think that's for most users, that's, that's probably what they're, what they're seeing. And then there is a kind of a, I think there's in a way a nice sort of correlation between how the insole looks and how generally speaking, how the sensors are still performing. So, yeah, I mean, over over a thousand miles in in the bottom of a pair of shoes, it's I said, I mean, it's quite a demanding environment for for sensors and for hardware. But uh, yeah, so that for the most part, it, I, I think that's quite a nice trigger for users to say actually, and to recognise that you know they've had it for you know a thousand miles, and uh, we you know it's not it's not the cost of a full system to replace it. It's very much a you know. Um, you know, a part, a component part of the of the cost. So, uh, for the most part, I think people are are happy knowing w where it's been and what they've done with it. Most people are kind of you know happy enough with that lifespan. Yeah, I, I'm happily surprised at a lifespan of around a thousand miles. I was wondering if it was going to be a system of you know only a few dozen miles, and there's a suggestion maybe of 
only wearing it when you want to um, measure, you know, some part yeah. of your running. Uh, it's nice to hear yeah. from you that you use it basically all the time. Back in the day, I used to be like an 800 meter runner and sometimes mile, but I'd always wear tracks on the spike. Uh, I'd always wear um, spikes on the track. Can you wear Nerve Run with uh, running spikes? Uh, you can, but I, 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 but I would accept that that's not how we're designed. That's not how we are designed to work in a way, or that's not our, our use case. So, I mean, it is possible for people that have done that. Um, Obviously, the main thing is that you don't typically you won't have the. I mean, the main thing is you don't have the removable sh liner within the within the shoe because we are designed to go in underneath and then get placed. So you know, there's no problem in in essence. There's not. I don't think a massive problem in terms of the stiffness. You know, spikes are very typically very much stiffer, or the fact that you've got the spikes. That's that's not really the issue. It's more the um, the I guess the feet, the perception or the feeling of of the foot in the shoe with with nerve having to be on top. Uh, to be honest, we've we have you know people have done it. Uh, it's uh, you know double sided sticky tape can do a you know can do a decent decent job there. Um, so it, so it is possible, but it's it's you know we are I guess we've been developed more with you know thinking about essentially essentially road running shoes you know yeah more more your standard sort of running footwear. Um, so it's it's uh, yeah doable, but not not I guess the 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 way it's been developed. Right. Yeah. I was just wondering because kind of a mediocre runner um, back then and certainly worse now, but um, I would always transition from running kind of correctly to just being a total heel striker um, somewhere along the race. And it would be nice to know, kind of ha have some metrics on what went wrong uh, when. Um, but yeah, so um, Another question is, what's the battery life on this uh, kind of look like? Um, so for, for this generation um, of the product, we, we run it five, five hours as the sort of the battery life for, that's if you're kind of operating at full, um, well, you, you're using all of the sensors basically. So we're basically uh, five, five hours for an outdoor run. Um, and that's, um, that assumes that you're, you're taking in and using the GPS uh, receiver that we have on board, so our our GPS receiver. Uh, the, the, there is a way to, to quite dramatically increase that battery life. The GPS receiver is a big drain, basically. Uh, so if you switch the GPS off, we we, we can operate indoor. Um, you can run an indoor run outdoors, if that makes sense. So you basically go for your run, but know that you're not going to receive a map of, of your run. You're not going to um, get, get the GPS now. Um, that takes us in the region of probably, I think it's in the region of 12, 12 hours. So if you were, you know, if you were to go off on a run like that, that would be one way of, of using nerve in, you know, one sitting, but, uh, as I say, switching off GPS, because we don't, um, you know, in terms of distance and pace and speed, we, we, we actually use a, uh, inertial navigation system rather than GPS. So GPS supports what we, GPS supports what we do on a distance and pace side of things, but it's not, uh, it's not our core core way of doing distance and pace. So, uh, and we well, we made that decision and change because it was a change because originally we were going to use GPS for for distance and speed, but we we made that change for um, accuracy reasons. Um, INS in the way you know we we found it to be more accurate. 
Um, and it does allow us to, to, to work just as well indoor as well. Uh, I, well. Either if you're indoor or if you've got spotty GPS reception, it just, it just doesn't matter to, to our metrics. Now, it make an influence to the map, but that's, that's, that's it. It doesn't make a difference to our running metrics. Um, so, yeah, so there are some choices to be made there. But so it's, so the, the, the basic answer is five hours, which we kind of, you know, that was, can somebody get around a marathon? Well, most people in, in five hours, and that was kind of our requirement. Um, but there are ways to, yeah, there are ways to, to, to extend it uh, by, by switching off some sensors. Who is nerve run best suited for like a beginner, um, someone that's injured, uh, an elite runner? Um, I think we, we, we have a, you know, we, we have a really nice range of, of, of users. Um, you know, I guess if you're looking at nerve as a support tool of how are you running and what effects having your performance, probably the, you know, the, the, the genuine elite, you know, those people with coaches and maybe even with access to, you know, get analysis labs, running clinics, you know, uh, you know, they, 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 they could use nerve, but they maybe got, you know, they've got, you know, expert sort of support, I guess. So, uh, but, you know, we, we haven't really aimed to target the, you know, the elite runner, uh, but probably everybody else. I think, you know, we, we'd like to think that there's a, there's a use there and, you know, and people will use it differently. Um, so, you know, definitely, so definitely novice runners are quite, you know, quite new runners. I, I I think there's definitely some good good take up there in that sort of segment of the of the running population. So, uh, you know, people that are still finding their feet in terms of how they're running. Um, you know, the, the, there is an element that as as a runner gets more experienced and simply runs more, you know, they will you know navigate maybe not in a very direct way, but they might kind of meander towards a you know, a running form that works for them. Uh, you know, it tends to be, you know, a more experienced runner, even if they've never really thought about it, will will probably, you know, in terms of the cadence of step length, they'll not be far off for them what their, you know, optimum values are. But certainly novice, you know, novice runners typically are running at a cadence that, you know, actually if they bump their cadence up 5%, maybe even 10%, they'd actually run with, with better economy at the very least. You know, it'd make running easier for them. Um, yeah, you know, so certainly in that bracket where people are still finding their feet around running, um, hopefully we have some, um, you know, we can runners can derive some benefit both in terms of understanding how their technique's changing, but you know we we do have some other more, you know, I guess general tools in there around you know the training load tool that I mentioned before, uh, so you can use Nerve to just you know to to manage the amount of running that you're doing, uh, and you know we've. We've got this thing where you, ideally you're going to stay in the middle band, basically, which means that you know you're you're training relatively consistently, or you're not spiking, or you know you're not doing an incredible amount for a couple of weeks and then coming back to quite a low amount, or you know the other way around. So, uh, because that you know that's quite well known, different ways to measure it, but it's quite well known that 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 sort of roller coaster way of training is is you know is well it increases the risk of injury. Um, so that kind of more, you know, that's a well-known known thing, but there's a, you know, within Nerve, there's that feature that helps support that. Um, so I, yeah, I think probably our biggest, our biggest sector, and we kind of know this is, is around, uh, newer runners, not necessarily complete novices, but newer runners. Uh, and I, I, as you mentioned, I think it was, you know, a, a decent hunch. The, the other side is those runners that maybe have come across an injury problem, uh, and are looking to get back into running uh, and using a tool to just you know help them help them with that. So I think those are definitely two big big segments for us.
nerve run is um, a wearable for your foot. It has a set of sensors that are on the bottom of your feet. Um, from the biomechanics side of things, what other sensors would you like to have on the body to inform you about either injury or how to improve performance for running? Yeah, nice, nice, nice question. It's, it's definitely something that occupies us quite a lot because, um, you know, I think for, for, for us, the, the, you know, the foot based things being, been a good move because you can tell quite a lot about what's going on, but you can't tell, you can't tell everything, you know, we're, we're in a position where, we, you know, there are maybe some metrics that would either be, uh, doable or just improved by having you know additional sensors and I, I definitely feel that you know the this kind of idea of a network of sensors is the is the, there is a balance there's definitely a balance there because you know you are talking about people that are going out on their you know for a run and just how much stuff do they want to wear or spend you know putting additional sensors on uh, but but you know we've got uh, and uh, we're not the only people looking at this but you know we've got a couple of PhDs uh, running it with uh, actually with the University of Bath so kind of joint joint projects and, and and one of them specifically is looking at this idea of additional sensors and it's quite nice that you know even with you know so you've got the foot based stuff but you you tag on wrist based sensor so I you know in a sports watch basically. Uh, and maybe and and maybe one on the on on the the thorax or you know a kind of uh, I don't know if you've ever seen more team sport you know, GPS you know they wear GPS receivers uh, on just in between the shoulder blades uh, you know you've got those two locations plus the foot based stuff you can actually uh, it's quite good at, at, at categorizing runners so we were a project that was looking at you know can you can those sensors distributed sensors and which ones. Can they categorize you know elite from novice or uh fresh from fatigued and actually so you've got some convenient locations where if you merged sensors you would be in a you would be in a nicer um nicer position uh i mean one of one of the other phds is looking more at okay let's take some of this foot-based measurement and start looking more at uh you know kind of a, a you know a loaded load monitoring sort of idea both the applied forces at the ground but also the you know the sort of the resultant loads it maybe a, a joint joint analysis so ankles knees and hips um you know, you know how much work is being done at those joints or um you know how are they working and, and maybe you know for us we've got we've got stuff down here but maybe something more more at the top of that chain which would be let's say pelvis for for argument's sake uh that could probably support support some of that analysis yeah so it's it's a nice one it's you know it's one that well, there's lots of research out there, and we're also kind of actively looking at what we might do in the future around that sort of network of sensors. And that's that's even just the pure sort of motion side of it. You know, obviously, you could start to try and integrate with some of those sensors more some of the physiological measurements as well. Uh, you know, and and for we do the, I guess the the one that would be expected at the moment is that we can, you know, we we can take in um, information from a from a chest strap heart rate monitor. So. Uh, you know, we don't we don't have a heart rate monitor at the foot, but you know, if somebody's wearing a chest strap or a watch based uh, that can transmit on Bluetooth, we can take that into our system. So, you know, we do have that information already coming in, but there are, you know, there's other, I guess, you know, physiological parameters that would be quite nice to, to add into that that mix as well uh, over time. Uh, always remembering that, always remembering that, yeah, just, you know, even if people are really interested, they don't, you know, you could always remember the fat factor around wearables and, you know, make them as convenient and as unobtrusive as, as possible. And that's always the, there's always a balance there, um, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. 
Okay. On the data side of things, uh, so some wearables I get a little bit annoyed by because I really like to have access to the raw data if possible. Um, does Nerve Run make it possible to have like basically the time series data of like pressure over pressure as a function of time to like a user? Yeah, um, well, I think we'd probably be in the middle ground here. So you might get a little bit annoyed with, with Nerve and that's not, that's not intentional. That's a matter of, to be honest, that's a matter of time at the moment and where we've managed to, I guess, prioritize what what we do because it's, it's something that's, you know, more on our list. So we can, you know, so Nerve data can find its way up to, you know, third party. So Strava, for example, is, you know, I know it's popular in the States as well, or, or Garmin Connect as well. Um, and that that allows, you know, we we are. It's an interesting one. So you know, we 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 go to the third party ones at the moment. That that allows us to put our basic information up there and allows the user to then you know get that back down. Uh, that tends to be the metrics that are, I, I guess, are already in their their toolkits. I suppose are their APIs. So you know, it tends to be the ones that you'd also get off the watch. There are some of our metrics that you know we'd we'd quite like to to get up there that actually. You know, we, we you know we haven't yet managed to manage to find a way to get get some of those um, those up. So we um, it's a it's a work for for us personally. It's a working it's a working progress. So we do have we've got a consumer app. You know, we are also you know in terms of taking nerve into new fields. You know, we're we're actively well we're doing some more sort of I guess what you'd call more healthcare clinical projects uh, at the moment with the same technology platform. Uh, and for that, we're working with 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 partners. So it's, that's less of an individual consumer thing, but working with, I get you know, kind of called you know B two B, but you know, essentially working with 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 other organisations. And um, you know, we are you know we're finding ways because that's the type of information that they you know that they want. So yes, we do not in our consumer product at, at the moment, but because we're doing it, you know, for more of a B two B type approach, then. You know, the hope is that over time we can we can then gravitate some of the work that we're doing on the sort of healthcare clinical side. We can bring some of those tools so that um, you know our users can get a bit more access to the raw data. Because it, I mean, we get the request, and it's not it's not something that we're we're holding on to. It's just a, a you know for us again. I think I've already said you're a relatively small group that can work on some things that you know they can't work on everything all at once. It's it's just got to find its way to the top of the list basically. No, that's good to hear. I mean, the list of things that I have to do personally just like grows monotonically increasingly every single day. It's like, so I imagine startups, especially you're not academia, you need to make money at some point. Um, you know, it's good to hear that it's not uh, vehemently opposed by, you know. No, 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 no. And, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we again, it's uh, both in terms of delivering back to the users, we would like, we would like to do more, we are going to do more, we, we need to get to it. And, and, you know, and likewise, with the data set in general, you know, we've got, you know, we do have 1000s of people running around with, with nerve and, uh, you know, you know, I, I, I've come from the injury prevention background, it's the type of data set that I would have, you know, really, you know, as an academic researcher, I, you know, really have, have loved. So, we, you know, we do want to do more with our with our data set. We, we're using it to learn about how people run and how they're using it and, you know, what sort of metrics are, are getting returned. But, you know, in the fullness of time, we, we would like to be part of, you know, a broader initiatives around, um, you know, nerve data or data coming from elsewhere, but nerve being part of the, the system. Uh, you know, I, actually, genuinely, I mean, the, the thing about running, and you touched on it before, around 
what can you say to the user about how they run it, what it means? Well, some of those recommendations at the moment are quite hard to give because, to be honest, the science isn't the science isn't there. You know, you know, running form and injury. It's not. It's not straightforward. You know, it's not. There's not a one-to-one relationship. It's multifactorial. But so therefore, you know, without, you know, you know, so one way to get try to get there is to get you know big data sets and and have enough data so that you can deal with you know a lot of this sort of confounding. The confounding factors, and, and you know, we in the fullness of time, we you know that's one of the things that we'd like you know the Nerve database to be to be used for. Uh, actually, one of, particularly on injury, less so on performance, but particularly on injury, one of the things that's actually the most difficult bit is is not so much the you know the running data, the metric data. It's actually the the injury side of it. Is how do you how do you as a well whether it's us or a, an academic partner. How do you get good information on injury and pain from runners that are not, you know, the, you know, they're, they're out, you know, not everyone's got the same access to medical facilities. You know, runners will run with injury. They are injuries, but they're not necessarily going to see the same clinic or you know people that we're also that you're also talking to. So it's actually the injury side that's the difficult part of that sort of jigsaw, in, in the sense of of being able to, because we're not very good at self diagnosing injuries and neither we should be because we're not clinicians, but uh, you know, so but to get that, de- you'd want the detail, but actually, all 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 we can really say is I've got a sore left knee, and that that's valuable information. I've got a sore left knee, but if you're trying to do the, what are the risk factors for specific injuries? It's you know you need that extra detail. So, uh, yeah, but it, I mean, so both both individual users and more in a sort of a a general, what can we do to to understand running a bit more? It, you know, it's it's definitely on the radar, uh, with with some you know with some challenges to to overcome. Yeah, I saw that you have accumulated something like a hundred million foot strikes. Um, well, to three hundred million, but uh, so we've, uh, but, it, but it all makes sense now in terms of of Karen. So yes, it is a it, you know it's nice. We're starting to generate a data set that you know the the form coach feature that we talked about before is probably the first time that we've we've for an individual we've gone kind of harvesting their entire profile and and you know give give information back. You know, up until then it's been a little bit more you know. Session by what? What have you done this session? What have you done this? Session? What have you done in the last twenty eight days? But the form coach for us was one of the first times that we've said, you know, we're going to use all of your running, uh, you know, and and ultimately what we should be able to do with form coach and other similar things. Say this is all of your running, and we're placing it in the context of the, you know, looking at the the much bigger data set. So there'd be you know, there's reasons for us to do that in terms of features that we'd like to deliver to our consumers, uh, and they're also the sort of the bigger, slightly more. I guess altruistic reasons around can we work with the rest of the you know sort of sports medicine community to answer some of the big questions that that you know would ultimately help I guess practice in terms of clinical practice, but actually would then you know would feed into products like ours, which which could then give their recommendations in a bit with a bit more concrete evidence because at the moment is you know you might you know you might think well again I've already said it you know you, you kind of think oh. You know, foot strike means this, or pronation means this, and and actually the evidence is is when you go into it is much more. Well, it's not black and white. It's it's you know it's a bit more. Yeah, we talked with a data science professor here, and he pointed out that like one person's worth of data is usually not so helpful. But if you can start getting thousands and thousands of users, then you can start driving kind of trends and go back the other way and have personalized insight based off that larger data set. Um, there's a some small number of minutes left and there's two things i really wanted to kind of run through you with the first one is basically um 
Nervron is the way a physicist would describe it is you have a set of pressure sensors on your feet that give you time series data. Um, it seems to me like you can do a lot with this. Like you could measure people when they're walking, um, when they're like squatting or like any sort of uh, yeah. like weightlifting movement for um, like kind of pressure distributions, like left, right, or like front back. Um, what are your thoughts on using this insole for other areas of athletics? Yeah, um, uh, so I agree. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's the, and and you know, one of the issues is actually you could probably, if you sat for ten minutes, you could you could actually think of you know a lot of applications. Uh, and that's you know, we again going back to the whole thing about being you know a relatively small group and and trying to get products out the door. So we've been, I would say, we've been quite laser focused for through the development process and for the initial launch around you know running. We, we we're trying to build a running product, uh, but we have always known that you know the technology platform itself. Uh, you know, there's there's other things that could be done with it, and I, I mentioned briefly, and and it is something, but only you know in you know the last period of time, so months rather than years, uh, you know, beginning to look at you know for you know you could you know going into the clinical space basically or into the healthcare space. So you know, gate gate analysis, you know, can be part of you know in gate analysis in hospitals it can be the you know the motion capture and looking at joint angles but actually there's some metrics that nerve can measure that the measures that you would are the same that you'd get from the motion capture and there, there have been you know um, you know on a clinical level people looking at foot, foot pressures so whether you're talking about uh orthotics whether you're talking about identifying you know so yeah sort of neuropathies so high pressure zones for you know for people with diabetes for example is 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 one of the issues so um there, there are. There's, there's lots of applications, and and so you're right about the, you know, the basic principle, pressure sensors, time series, looking. You know, uh, we could, we could, we can do a bit more with, you know, just looking at that pressure map. You know, essentially, we don't have a, you know, a matrix. It's not you, you wouldn't call it a map or a matrix of sensors. It's individual spots. But we, we have sixteen, and actually, even for the running product, that was the com. You know, they've the, the been, you know, they were examples of people doing it with three sensors i you know i felt from the start that that wasn't sufficient for some of the metrics we wanted to do but likewise i don't feel that for a actually to 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 give you know the level of detail we needed i didn't feel that we needed 300 sensors or or you know more than that because actually one of one of the first things you do with a pressure map like that is to break it down into zones so you know so 300 becomes eight zones very quickly anyway in terms of interpretation uh, so I felt, you know, so we got 16 sensors, you know, but we could look at, you know, how, so, you know, during walking, whether that's normal walking, you know, impaired walking, we've got, you know, the cerebral palsy gait, uh, you know, we've got, uh, you know, toe walking is an example, you've got idiopathic toe walking, which, you know, there's people, you know, literally walking on the front of their feet, which can have a, you know, can have a, a physical diagnosis or might resolve, but, you know, sometimes treated if it, if it's, if it's extreme, uh, so you know, there's there's lots of clinical applications for for, for for the technology platform, as as there are just saying, you know, running's not the only sport where, you know, you might be interested in what the foot's doing. So yeah, weightlifting absolutely. You know, uh, I don't know, golf, uh, you know, skiing, snowboarding. Uh, there's, there's yeah, there's quite a few few areas, and and for us, it's about you know just not. Not biting off too many at, at, at the one time, uh, 
but yeah, we're excited. But we but we are excited about the other the other areas as well. You know, building the keep building the run product, but also you know, uh, going into the, the, the different applications as well. Is there a weight limit that you know of? Um, for example, like you know, if someone were to buy this and get under a squat bar with five hundred pounds, would that be a bad idea? Uh, so five. Well, I can see we. we when we specified it, I, the, the product, so we went through the designing the sensors and testing the sensors, uh, I, I always had the view that, you know, at the very least we knew that, yeah, we were focused on endurance running. But if, uh, I wanted to make sure we were okay for other dynamic, more dynamic activities. So, for example, sprinting. Now, the difference between the loads that you get from endurance running versus sprinting is quite different. So, you know, in a, you know, a relative, let's like, call it a jog, you are at, you know, you're a body, body weight in a bit, so one and a bit body weights, whereas sprint, you know, sprinting, you're at four body weights, but at peak, you know, peak force wise. So I know we're good for sprinting. So let, let's say on ballpark, four, four body weights um, of, 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 of peak force. And, you know, and, you know, and the sense of we keep, but I know that's what we've tested, that's what we've tested to. You know, if there was a more extreme, we would have to go back and just make sure we were ready for it. But uh, I know that we've got a nice, nice linear sort of, uh, well, we've got good linearity through to through to full body weight. So, so somebody doing a heavy lift, you know, you're talking about, well, if you say five hundred pounds, I mean that's I'm sorry, working kilograms, but you know, you maybe yeah, you maybe at three three body weights in total, person plus double their body weight, I guess, in in terms of the bar. So yeah, I'd be confident in those those uh, situations. The, the the ones are you know situations that we would need to look again are the really high impact type situations. So. Uh, you're talking about I don't know, I I I would need to look again a uh, triple jumper, you know, a triple jumper. So yeah, I was going to say jumping. Yeah, I would imagine is yeah, quite jumping and, and very extreme landings. You know, for yeah. transient periods of time, you know, those right. peak forces peak, are you yeah. know, yeah, really quite high. And, and you could argue, you could get into the conversation around, you know, do you just not quite capture the peak or? But you know, th those would be the situations that I would look again. But anything below that, um, I, I'd be quite confident with our current with our current setup that, that we would be okay for that. You, you might also be able to extrapolate the peak, I guess, if you just overload your sensor for, but you know how long it's overloaded for, at least estimate it. Um, and then the other, so, okay, that's good to know. Uh, yeah, it's not like everyone except for probably like extremely elite level weightlifters would probably be okay. Um, good to know. The other question is this pressure sensor uh, system that you've developed, um, have you thoughts of putting it in other areas? I think you'd have to use it more as just like a diagnostic tool. But um, for example, something that's important in weightlifting is uh, really exhorting a lot of kind of squeezing pressure through your hands um, to kind of get the mind muscle connection going. And it wouldn't, it would be nice to have some kind of feedback on how hard is it or, you know, a kind of a reminder. So I could imagine you putting pre these pressure sensors on kind of like weightlifting gloves. No one really likes to wear weightlifting gloves, but you, you know, could imagine for testing purposes um, or more generally putting um, these sensors on the inside of a weightlifting belt. Um, could you say any words about the prospect of putting this pressure sensor on other parts of the body, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, de definitely from a from a technical perspective, I could, you know, I, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, ultimately, the way that you know, we we have we have an insole that's got sixteen spot sensors that are arranged, you know, to kind of hopefully, you know, do a good job for capturing the pressure on the foot. But these are ultimately single spot sensors that can be arranged in any 
you know, so I, I, I'm not saying that you'd want to take an insole as it stands and kind of put it, you know, wrap it around the bar or anything like that. But, but, it, but in terms of the basic technology, then yeah, I mean, absolutely, you can, you know, I, I, I could, you're right, I can imagine that, you know, you'd maybe change, you'd look at different sizes of, you know, there's no reason that the size of the sensor has to be the same, but, you know, do a quick analysis and, 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 and arrange them any way you, any way you'd like. So, yeah, I guess at that point, you're talking about a different, you know, I guess a different component at the end of the system, and you know you'd have to think about if it's a more sensors or less sensors for us. There's there's, there's work that we need to be done, but that's you know that's just kind of processing, um, you know, and you you kind of you know strapping in. I mean, I know there are there are more sort of uh, I guess clinic, slightly more clinical or industrial pressure mapping systems that work in that way where you've kind of got the same same interface, and then but they've got you know they've got lots of different lots of different ways of, of kind of configuring where the sensors are and what they're what what the application is so you know so I guess that's the that's the proof of the pudding is that other people have you know other people have done it in that way and and therefore it you know I suggest that it's it's definitely doable uh, and it would yeah it 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 it'd be nice like quite a nice application as well um one last question just because I I know I have to let you go um I couldn't find any, but do you know, are there other competitors that are, you know, wearable pressure monitoring insole, anything like this? There, there are a couple. Um, and, you know, with most people coming out from a, you know, maybe a slightly different focus. Um, uh, you know, a couple of the big footwear manufacturers have done quite in a way, the, the sort of the straightforward, you know, you're going back quite a few years, you know, in terms of integrating into shoes, um, that's that's been tried and um, both in terms of pressure sensors and I mean, there's some people still doing, you know, sort of more of an IMU approach in in, in the shoe. Um, yeah, um, so it's uh, yeah, it's a um, well, it's quite an active, you know, it's quite an active space. We're not, we're not the only, you know, we're not the only the only company um in there um and with everybody doing it in a probably in a, in a similar sort of way but maybe uh i say either targeting slightly different market sectors or you know maybe with with the technology platform i mean there's probably some metrics that you know everybody would say okay well, that's obvious we're going to do that metric but uh, after that there you know in a way and we've not fully exploited all of the various metrics that we you know that we could measure within the, the running product partly that's time but partly that's so we don't overwhelm people too much because it you know it's still you know runners run there's a lot of acceptability particularly for runners there's a lot of acceptability for technology you know most people wear a watch uh you know really high proportion of people wear a watch and some people wear you know if you've got pods and, and whatnot but it's it's still relatively you know it's still a relatively new thing to have this much information coming back from you know every run that you do sort of thing so the, the, there is again that balance around you know kind of trying not to overwhelm and get too esoteric around uh you know some of the some of the metrics because you could i mean you know you could you know you could keep going until until whenever in terms of or say let's look at this in a slightly different way and, and whatnot but but that means that you know across the the i guess the the landscape of you know particularly insole products and whatnot that does mean that you know people are you know, people have decided to tread slightly. There's kind of almost a core of metrics, you know, the ones we've been talking about, you know, the more of the performance ones and the cadence and the step length. There's that core, but then after that, people have maybe, you know, taken slightly different directions. Right. 
Yeah, I, I was just curious because your company, when I was looking through it, stood out to me. Um, I certainly wasn't interested in having a whole shoe be smart. Uh, the fact that it's an insole seemed useful and you can change shoes. And I was particularly intrigued by your 16 sensor array and one kilohertz data rate. Um, but anyways, I think I'm, I, I think I've used up all the time I can for, uh, for you. So I, I wanted to really thank you for coming on and talking with me. I really learned a lot. No, thanks, Bobby. I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time.